Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. I am recording episode 156. This episode will continue with dialectical behavior therapy, and we will talk about some behavior analysis. And first, I want to talk about some ideas I've had for the new year. I have been told often by my husband that I need more examples in the podcasts, that examples make things more concrete, it makes the information more usable and more applicable. And I totally agree with that. My problem is when I get into the episodes themselves, I have a hard time coming up with examples and I find myself stumbling and kind of stalling over things. And other times I have great examples and they just flow really naturally. So I think I do an okay job with examples, but I know I could do better and I think they would help you. So I would like to provide examples for some concepts and ideas that I have talked about in the past. And that will be kind of an ongoing endeavor where I will have a separate podcast for examples and explanations. And just for a quick, easy reference, we will call it the triple E. Examples, explanation, addition of the podcast. The explanation part is going to happen if I feel like I missed something or I rushed through something or I made a mistake on something and it needs to be explained or corrected, anything like that. I will use the examples and explanation addition to explain something that I've made a mistake on or something like that. I am more than happy to take your input on this. If you want examples from certain concepts, if you need further explanation on things, if you think I said something wrong or incorrect, I would love to be challenged on that. And I would love to provide this extra episode that will just pop up whenever it pops up maybe every three or four or five podcasts, I will have a triple E. They will be very interesting. I think everybody will find enormous value in them, especially if you are contributing. You can contribute through the Anchor website. So on my Insanity Instagram, it shows you what the anchor website is. You can click on that link and it will take you and you can interact with the podcast there. You can interact on the Instagram itself. I will try and remember to have a podcast posted so that you can comment directly to that. Some of you can text me. Some of you can reach out that way. Others of you cannot. And then there is an email set up for the Insanity podcast, and there will be a link to that in the show notes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
If you have not seen the show notes on Spotify, it's because you have not scrolled far enough into the episode you are listening to. The other thing Spotify podcast allows you to do is leave a recorded voice message. If you do that, that will also give me an opportunity to get some feedback from you. If you need examples or you want explanations, this is the way to do it. This is the time to do it. And I will have a platform to address your concerns and to address my concerns because I know I've missed things. I know I have spoken incorrectly. I know that I need more examples. And so this is new for 2024. And let's see how that goes. Again, thank you for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate them. There have been a few and I read all of them and I would love anybody who wants to, to go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews that are left, the better placement the podcast itself has and the more people I can reach. So that's my plug. All right, let's get started with some more dialectical behavior therapy. I did two dialectical behavior therapy podcasts, broke it up with a podcast that I did with some of my kids. And so now I'm on dialectical behavior podcast number three, and I want to do a tiny bit of review. The review I want to do is about the assumptions that can be made about people who are working from a dialectical behavior therapy standpoint. And one of the assumptions, there were seven, but I only want to talk about number six. Number six is the assumption that all behaviors, actions, thoughts, and emotions are caused. And I want to talk about what that means. I think that may be my very first explanation, and I'm going to tie that one in with this particular podcast. All behaviors, actions, thoughts, and emotions are caused. Let's talk about this and break it down into tiny pieces. Let's start with the idea that something happens in the past or in the present. Maybe something has happened. You have experienced something. You are experiencing something. You've had a conversation with someone or you're having a conversation with someone. So something happened or is happening. And then we have this cognitive behavioral triangle that is used very frequently in CBT therapy. And it's this loop. So it doesn't necessarily matter which thing goes on which corner of the triangle, but we have thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. Our thoughts, our thoughts are cognitive processes. We have thousands of them a day and they just come and go and come and go. Many of our thoughts are planning or problem solving or labeling or working out something. I guess that's the same as problem solving, but we have very specific thoughts that help propel us through the day. 
We have to decide when we're going to pick up our kids. If we're going to go to the grocery store first, we have to decide what we're going to make for dinner. Do we have the ingredients? We have to remember to call somebody. So those are the thoughts that propel us through the day. And then we have thousands of other thoughts that just come and go unbidden and they're much less useful and they don't have as much uh, power behind them to propel us through our day. However, they have plenty of power to make us feel certain things and therefore behave in certain ways. So thousands of those thoughts and many of them are born out of habituated thinking patterns. For example, I, I'm going to use cognitive distortions. So we might think things in a way that is very catastrophizing. We might think things where we do a lot of mind reading. We might make a lot of incorrect and inappropriate assumptions. We might worry and ruminate about things that we cannot control. These are all thoughts. Okay. Then another corner is behavior and behavior are observable actions. This is what I see you do. And this is what you see me do. And that is born out of things you think. The other corner of the cognitive behavioral triangle is emotions or feelings. And these are our internal emotional responses to something we think or something we've experienced. Now, let's talk about this idea of cause. If we know there is a cause behind what we think, feel, or do, we have to figure out what that cause is. So I'm going to use an example, a little side note on examples. This particular podcast, I actually did a lot of work of going through and creating an example that I could use. And I want you to take it for all of the imperfections that it's going to have with it, because it's not always going to line up perfectly with this idea and it's not always going to be neat and tidy under this heading but what i'm trying to do is give you a backdrop to contextualize your own experiences so i have an experience and the experience is that when my mom comes over to my house she cleans and then dresses my kids and insists on making lunch that's the experience that i'm having nothing but facts I have just told you the facts of my experience. My mom comes over, she cleans, she dresses my kids, and she makes lunch. My thought is, she's criticizing me. She thinks my house is dirty. She doesn't think my kids are well taken care of. And apparently I'm not capable of making my kids food. That is what I think about that experience. Remember, we're trying to get at the cause. All behaviors, actions, thoughts, and emotions are caused. So make that connection. You have something that goes on for you that you're going to do something similar. Why in the world do I think that? This is where it gets tricky. I have to know why 
that's my thought process. What is going on in my history, in my experience that makes me feel like all of that help from my mom is criticism? Now, we're not getting, she didn't say any of that. She, she doesn't tell me anything. So don't get caught in the weeds on this because right now I'm just describing the facts of my experience. All right, so let's think about why do I think that? Well, maybe I think that because I'm feeling overwhelmed and I actually want to do better. And so I'm feeling my own angst about my dirty dishes and the fact that I can't keep clothes on my kids or that we've had pasta with spaghetti sauce for the fourth day in a row. Maybe my husband recently said something about how the kitchen sink is always full of dishes. Maybe I've actually decided to prioritize my relationship, my parenting goals, my connection, my emotional education, and other things with my children and my family over a clean house or dressing my kids in appropriate clothing. And maybe I haven't felt confident in having that conversation with people. Maybe I'm still working out my values around all of this. So I have to do the work of figuring out why I think the things I think or feel the things I feel based on something somebody else did. I cannot externalize it to them. It would be so much easier for me to just believe that my mother was criticizing me. It would be so much easier for me. It would not make me feel good, but it would be easier to believe she just doesn't understand. It would be easier to believe that I am a bad mom and I don't know how to do these things. That would be easier. It would not make me feel better. I would feel terrible about it. But it takes a lot of work to untangle the whys behind your reaction. This is incredibly important because we respond automatically to other people because we don't know why or what caused our thinking, our feeling, or our actions. All right. So the flip. Okay. So with that one, the, I feel like she's criticizing me. Let's go back. I'll read it again. I think she's criticizing my dirty house, my unkempt children, or the fact that I can't prepare good meals for my family. If this is my experience and this is how I think and what I feel, then I'm going to increase my negative feelings. I'm going to feel resentful. I'm going to feel angry. I'm going to feel less than. I'm going to feel judged. I'm going to feel worthless. And then I'm going to act by not inviting her over. I'm going to isolate. Or I'm going to change and go against my values so that she'll approve of me. That's how I'm going to act based on how I feel. At least those are some experiences. 
okay, let's assume for a minute that instead of thinking she's criticizing me, I think instead how lucky I am that she is here to help support me. And I just view her as helpful and I appreciate it. What if I think instead that she likes doing this and it frees me up to live more aligned with my parenting values of connection, emotional regulation, skill building in my children, homeschooling, if that's what I do. So I think that. Uh, what if I also think it's really nice to have her over and I love that we can work together and that she's willing to come over and spend time doing this and spend time with us. What if I think that? How am I going to feel and how am I going to behave that's going to be different? Well, what if I feel relieved? What if I feel grateful and supported? What if I feel connected and seen? If that's how I feel, then I'm going to behave by continuing to invite her over. I'm going to feel confident in my parenting. I might express my appreciation to her and tell her why it is so important to me. I might do those things instead of the others. This is a lot of work. This requires anybody who does this work to internalize their experience not in a way that is avoidant and harmful and non-communicative, but in a way that opens up your own self-awareness. Remember, there's always a cause. The cause is why is the thing that you need to get to so that you know why you feel and behave certain ways. Okay, that is a clarification of an assumption in DBT that there is always a cause or a set of causes for our actions, thoughts, and emotions, even if we don't know it. So the cause is my experiences, my mom comes over and she does these things. And then I have options of how I want to think. The cause of how I think is going to depend on what's going on in my life. Maybe I'm overwhelmed. Maybe I've been criticized. Maybe I have a different value system. You have to figure that out. You have to do the work of figuring that out. Okay. That was kind of a refresher and an explanation on number six. And this takes us really nicely into this next part of dialectical behavior therapy. Let's talk about ineffective behaviors. And this is important. And we all have them. And you should know what they are, or you should allow someone who loves you and you love to tell you what your ineffective behaviors are. Or you should be able to see them clearly when they present themselves. Ineffective behaviors can include yelling, throwing things, drinking too much, spending too much time at work, 
avoiding those kinds of things. They can be lots of other things too, but those are ideas of ineffective behaviors. So we're going to use the handouts in this DBT manual to talk about analyzing behavior. And the reason we're going to do this is because you want to figure out what is causing your ineffective behavior. So they're using the language chain analysis. CBT therapies use all kinds of different language to describe similar things. It's not that important what they call it. We'll just go through what it is because I don't want you to get hung up on what that is technically and then not be able to do the work. So anytime you are willing to examine all of the chain of events that leads to your ineffective behaviors and then assess the consequences of those behaviors that makes it hard to change them, you are engaging in behavioral chain analysis. All you want to do is pinpoint the things all along the way that cause you to behave ineffectively. Then you want to see what the consequences of that ineffective behavior are. And then you want to figure out how to change them and repair if there has been damage. And I'm going to tell you the steps of that. First thing, and we're going to use the example that I used about my mom coming over and cleaning my house, dressing my children and feeding my children. And I'm going to try and break this down into some steps. We're going to go probably up to five steps. And this is this experience of really diving deep and writing down this chain of events that helps you identify what the problem behavior is. All right. I think my problem behavior is because I'm using my negative thought. The negative thought is that I'm being criticized. She doesn't think I'm a good mom. She can't, she doesn't think I can make food for my kids. And she thinks I'm dirty and unkempt. The problem behavior is I don't enjoy my mom's visits and I'm defensive whenever she comes over. That's my problem behavior. Now, what I really want to do is describe that problem behavior as specifically as I can. I don't want to be vague. I get mad when my mom comes over. That's really vague. Or I don't enjoy my mom's visits. That's really vague. I want to be very specific and detailed. Exactly what do I experience when uh, my mom is coming over? What do I say when my mom comes over? What do I feel when she calls and asks if she can come over? Maybe I 
begrudgingly let her come over and maybe I run around the house quickly cleaning up as much as I can so I don't have to feel all the uncomfortable feelings. Maybe I don't really want my mom to come over, but I don't have the boundary language or the courage to tell her I don't want to come over. So the idea in describing the specific problem behavior is to really get detailed about what goes on for you. What is the intensity of the behavior? Are you passively aggressive, nice to your mom when she comes over? This is me. You know, am I passive aggressive? Do I, do I try and distract her so she doesn't do any of these things? Do I talk about this experience with other people behind her back? How intensely invested am I in this before she comes over, after she leaves, during the week? What kinds of conversations do I have about it? Describe this behavior well enough that if you had an actor who was going to act out this scene, that they could recreate this behavior exactly. If the behavior is something you did not do, for example, I'm super not wanting to, my mom to come over. I'm really not in a mood for her to be over, but I don't do anything about it. I don't stop her. Then you want to ask yourself, did you not know that you needed to do that? Did you not understand how important that was to you? Did you think you were going to do it and then chicken out when the time came? Why did you not do something? So all of these steps, well, step one is to identify and be specific about the problem behavior. But underneath that, there are lots of ways you can do that. So I want you to do that very carefully and very intentionally. So my problem behavior is I'm defensive towards my mom and I don't enjoy it when she comes over. That's the problem behavior. Step two is to describe the prompting event, meaning what has happened either immediately before the event or sometime in the past before the event that makes this my problem behavior. So you start by thinking about whatever that was. And you may not be able to, you may think you can't find a cause, right? But there's always a cause. So for me, in this case, the cause is that in the most recent several times my mom has come over, she has gone right into the kitchen and started cleaning. And then she's asked me if the, if the kids' clothes are clean. So this is the prompting event. And she has done it for the past four or five times that she's come over. And this is what is causing my problem behavior. So be very specific. When did this prompting event happen? How many times has it happened? Does it happen every time? Sometimes? What is your expectation of this prompting event to continue? 
what was going on right before you see this one's a little bit hard because it's not an overt behavior this is just the way you're thinking right so are you defensive with your mom all the time now or just when she comes over and does those things and if you are defensive with your mom all the time now is the prompting event the fact that you are feeling criticized and resentful and worthless because of the way she behaves when she gets to your house so can you be with your mom other times and not feel defensive or not enjoy being around her you figure that kind of thing out by identifying the prompting event all right step three is to describe what made you vulnerable to starting down this particular path. So for example, what was going on in your life? What were your uh, low res uh, resilience factors? What were your high vulnerability factors that were taking place for you before the prompting event? So for example, what were you, are you feeling unwell? Are you having a difficult time sleeping? Are you sick? Are you not taking care of yourself? Did you miss your exercise class for the past three days? Is your relationship with, with one of your children particularly rocky? Do you have a friend who is sick and in need? What are your vulnerability factors? So in the case of this particular example, the vulnerability factors include, I'm not clearly identifying my values as it relates to a clean house or spending time with my kids one of the vulnerability factors might be that I have been criticized by others before about this issue. And I don't know how to reconcile the criticism with what and how I want to live. Another one could be I'm sick and I'm overwhelmed and exhausted. So with all of those in place and thinking about the problem behavior and the prompting event, everything just feels like it's too much, right? It's just too much. So you want to identify your vulnerability factors because you have them, we all do, and they're real. Step four is to describe in as much detail as possible how what events led to the problem behavior. So this is why they call it chain analysis, because we are detailing the chain of events that led to the problem behavior. Remember, the problem behavior is that I am defensive and I do not enjoy it when my mom comes over. So the chain of events includes, I have a dirty house. I don't clean my house. And so that exists as a 
fact, the other part of the chain events is that I don't care what my kids wear. So they can run around in their undies, they can run around in dress up clothes, they can run around in summer clothes in the wintertime and winter clothes in the summertime. Sometimes their clothes are not clean and so they're wearing whatever they can find. That is something that is part of the chain of events because my mom is reacting to my environment and my environment is part of that chain of events and then my mom reacts and then I react. So another part of the chain events, chain of events could be that my mom probably, this isn't exactly mine, but my mom probably thought she taught me better and therefore she has expectations. So that's going to be part of the chain of events that leads to the problem behavior. So you have to do a lot of thinking about this. You have to do a lot of intentional work at untangling all of these different threads. This is important and critical work because this is how you recognize, identify, and then change our, your, mine, our problematic behavior in our relationships. So step number four, describe in detail the chain of events that lead to the problem. You can actually draw little circles. You can draw a chain. You can make a chain. You can bullet point it or write it out in lists. You might have three, you might have 10, but you want to connect all of these things. No matter how small or how far removed you think they might be, if they pop into your head when you're doing this chain of events, write them down and write them down specifically. What are the actions or the things that you do that lead to this problem behavior? How are you feeling when this is coming up? If your mom called and you know she's coming over, you are going to start feeling things in your body. You are going to start feeling maybe anxious, maybe irritated. What does that feel like? What are you thinking? Are you have you gone into a self-pity party where you think you're not good enough and here comes another opportunity for someone to tell you that you aren't living up to their expectations? How does this impact your family? Do you get cranky? Do you are you short-tempered with your kids? So go through it all. What is the exact thought or belief, feeling or action follow that follows the prompting event? You need to figure that out too. And then you've got this all written down. You're looking at it. You can see it. You're adding to it. You might take something away. You might come up with something that you remember from a year or so ago. Write it all down. And then as you're looking at this, you have the opportunity to say to yourself, what could I have done differently? Is there anybody you know who may have thought or felt or acted differently in your circumstances? Do you have a sister who doesn't care what your mom thinks 
or is able to live more clearly aligned with her values as a parent. Do you know anybody who would have done this experience differently? Write that down. Make those things clear and articulate it. Okay. The last step in this chain analysis part where you're just analyzing behavior is to describe the consequences of the behavior. Again, specifically, the consequences of this behavior could include you rushing around to clean up before your mom gets home so you don't feel the shame and embarrassment that you think she's imposing on you. So maybe your little kids are stressed out. Maybe your husband doesn't know why you're freaking out. That could be one of the consequences. Maybe another one of the consequences is that you are just so overwhelmed or so mad at your mom. Let's do that one. So resentful and angry that your mom comes over and criticizes you this way that you really don't interact with her when she comes. You are isolating yourself in the bedroom. Perhaps one of the consequences of this behavior is that you resent other members of your family. Maybe your mom doesn't treat your sister this way or something like that. And so you have strained relationships with other people because you have a belief about your mom and about you that is born out of your thinking patterns. Maybe your husband is tired of hearing you talk about this because he doesn't see it the same way you do. Maybe you have a friend who won't support you anymore in this thinking pattern and problem behavior because she doesn't see it the way you see it. And the consequences can go on and on and on. And those are the first six steps in this dialectical behavior therapy chain analysis of analyzing your problem behaviors. And you have more than one, I promise you. And so I challenge you because I'm going to end here. And next week we will start with the steps on how to change the behavior. This is early in DBT. This stuff and these general handouts, which is what they're called, and this information is presented to you by me but presented to a client in the manual long before you learn any new skills. So what's really interesting to me is that you're getting this rundown of this information and this general introduction to dialectical behavior therapy and the ways it can improve your life before we even talk about skills. And next week we will talk about how to change the problem behavior. I'm not sure how far we'll get into the skills part, but 
let's just keep going sort of methodically for a podcast or two more. I don't want to commit myself. So I'm going to be vague as to how many more DBT podcasts we're going to do, which is not to say I do not love this information. This is really important information. And I am always providing information that I believe will improve your life. First and foremost, reduce your anxiety, reduce your positive interactions. No, reduce your anxiety, increase your positive interactions, reduce depressive symptoms or depression or experiences that make you sad and overwhelmed increase your satisfaction and resilience and increase your mindfulness and basically make your life better. And then you can proceed in a way to make your relationships better. Sorry. And then you can improve to, then you can move on and improve the lives of people around you. Now that's real general and that's certainly pie in the sky and I believe it to be true. And I want to touch back, and I'm hoping to do so with some regularity, on last week's podcast where Christian, Lindsay, and Annie helped talk about the spiritual connection and the spiritual overlap that we all see with mental health. And I'm going to continue to remind you that as you increase your skills in emotional regulation, in communication, in boundaries, when you increase mindfulness and acceptance of your shadow parts, when you increase your willingness to engage in the work of good mental health, you are also increasing in connection to a higher power, to God, to the universe, to the people around you. That is why I do this. That is why I'm talking about dialectical behavior therapy. That is why I will talk about the nervous system again. That is why I talk about mindfulness and on and on and on. So thank you for being here. Thanks for your positive neutral and constructive feedback on last week's podcast. I gather that it was an enjoyable, informative, interesting, perhaps challenging concept for some of you. Your feedback was really lovely and appreciated by all of us. And let's keep up the good work. I will now leave you with a quote by Albert Ellis, who said, you have considerable power to construct self-helping thoughts, feelings, and actions, as well as to construct self-defeating behaviors. You have the ability, if you use it, to choose healthy instead of unhealthy thinking, feeling, and acting. And have a great week. Thank you.